What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our Indiana preview. Michigan State takes on Indiana in Bloomington on Sunday at around, I think, noon or one o'clock. Indiana is 12 and six and three and four of the Big Ten, ranked 20th in Ken Palm, and they're on a two game winning streak after having some real struggles earlier on in the Big Ten season. And I guess, you know, even before we get into the Indiana, let's talk a little bit about Malik Hall because I guess maybe we're going to start every show <laughs> talking what's going on with Malik because yeah. it seems to just. Uh, wax and wane or changes by the hour almost. And, uh, you know, three days ago, was it three, four days ago now, it would sound like his season was over. And then a day later, it's like, yeah, he's okay. He's out of the boot. <laughs> he's going to play in a couple weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe two weeks, maybe one week, we're not sure. Right. And then again, today, as we're recording this on Friday, the word from Izzo was, yeah, you know, he's, he can't hurt it. So it's whenever he's ready to come back, he can come back. He's already starting to kind of shoot and, you know, mess around a little bit and practice. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, is there anything else besides that, that you could be said before we, we can talk about sort of the injured nature of the injury too, but uh, anything else you have to add that was, I guess, came out today. Only the, you know, there, there was actually footage of him last night before the Rutgers game. He was out there for shoot around. Now he right. wasn't, he wasn't cutting or, but he was out there walking around, taking shots. And, and essentially what Izzo said today is it looks like he's going to try practicing tomorrow, which would be Saturday. Now, I don't think that has any meaning for this Indiana game. I agree, but it might mean something for Iowa Yep, and or Purdue next week. Um, so yeah, look, it's uh, I'll I'll defer to you on a lot of this as the resident uh, person with an MD in this discussion. But um, my the, the sense that we're getting is, and is, I have heard Izzo say this, and I think you would agree that based on what you've heard in talking to someone with some expertise in these kinds of injuries, it it tends to track with what you were told. Um, it doesn't seem, it seems like they're, they're certain, reasonably certain that he can't do any additional damage. Like there's not him playing on this is not going to suddenly result in a fracture. Not, not based on that. He could get another injury, sure, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Different Absolutely. part of the foot that could do that. But this is not going to, because he steps on somebody's foot suddenly lead to a fracture that what's going on is the healing process and the trouble with the healing process on something like a foot that when you're playing basketball, you're using pretty much every moment um, yeah. is that 
it can be painful while there's while there's healing going on. And so it sounds to me like this is really at this point down to pain management. How much, what's his pain threshold? Can he be effective playing on it with the way it's hurting or not hurting? And that that's going to determine where it goes from here. It's not really at this stage about fear of an exacerbation of the existing injury. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And I, and I think the best way to think about this is it's an inflammatory re- response. And so, as you know, whenever you have some inflammation, it hurts. And yeah. usually resting it makes it better, right? I mean, I've, obviously, as we get old, we have inflammation we can't get rid of. And we have to use, you know, uh, medication. Right. Arthritis. Right, right. arthritis, yeah. exactly. But this is a, you know, it's a soft tissue inflammation. And so it's going, to, it's going to get better with rest. And, of course, with basketball, especially on the feet, not only is it you can't it's hard to stay off your feet for anybody, you know, much less uh, a basketball player, but they are, it is high impact. I mean, this is, you know, they're putting all the stress of their body and, you know, doing crazy things on that. If you think about it, the amount of surface area you're actually launching off of in a jump or something is very small. And so you can, you're putting a lot of stress and force. It's focused on one point. Right. Right, Yeah. It's like if you're trying to do a cartwheel, but you got a broken wrist or something. I mean, you can, you know, it's so, so I think the the thing to think about it, I think, and when I've talked to, uh, I talked to a foot and ankle uh, person tonight too, because I was just kind of curious about his thoughts were on it. But he said, it's exactly what you think. It, you have to rest it, but, and you can, it's not going to get better until you rest it, it but it's not going to get worse, except in the sense that it's not going to get, make the injury worse, but you may have more pain. This is not surprising, right? Like if you, <laughs> if you, you know, if you kind of take it easy, you get better, but if you kind of push it too much, then you can actually kind of go backwards. You know, you might have more pain and now you have to rest a little bit more. So that's, I think that's sort of a conundrum for, for Hall and for Michigan state is, you know, how do you sort of manage this? Because it, it's so individualized and there's no way to predict how someone's going to respond to it. So my guess is, and so first of all, I think Michigan state in general, is spooked by foot on foot injuries, rightly so, with the with the, the the saga of Josh Langford, and so they're maybe extra cautious in some ways uh, in how they've been treating both Aikens and Hall. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I think just that's just the way they've sort of res- responded to it because they don't want a disaster, not only for their team but also for Malik Hall and his career. You know, you don't absolutely want to that right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's I think ultimately that is almost if not it probably is like one of their primary you know concerns. So. So they want to be very cautious with that, but you have to sort of balance, you know, what you're going to do. So I, when I was talking, I think last show, I thought he might kind of sit for like a week, practice for a week, and then he'll come back, which would put him back, you know, in first week of February or end of January. Right. I think it's, I think you're right though. It's entirely possible. If he's already feeling comfortable enough to play or practice a little bit, that we'll probably see him. I I would not rule out seeing him at the Iowa game. And but I think what's going to happen is I think they're going to be much more uh, regimented with his minutes. So I don't think you're going to see him play ten, then fifteen, then twenty-two, then you know twenty-nine minutes. Right. I think they'd be much more cautious about that, not because they're worried about him re-injury in the sense that he's going to like step on someone's foot, because as you mentioned, that can happen anytime. There's not, there's no, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. But I think you don't want to push it so that you're kind of going backwards on the on the healing process and the pain level, and because. As we all know, even you might have a lot of pain, no matter how tough you are, sometimes it just causes splinting. Like you just can't do things the way you right. should. And so you have to always be careful with that. And so I think what they're going to do is they're going to 
practice. He's going to do some like low level stuff this weekend, probably next week. And then if he feels okay, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play, you know, maybe 10 minutes and then maybe they'll give him to 12 or 14 or 15 for Purdue. I mean, that's, I think uh, what might happen now, what his first game back, I don't know which one that would be, but I think that's kind of how it's going to be. It's going to be a little different. They're going to ramp him up slower than they did Aikens. And then, you know, it might get to a point where he has no pain, which is entirely possible if he's kind of taking easy. And then he's like, all right, we're just, you can just go, go for it. We'll give you like 20 minutes and then you're gone. The other thing that I could, I could see them doing is um, lightening the load on him, maybe even more than they were doing before in practice. Absolutely. That's you know? the other thing. And with a lot of guys, you'd say, all right, that's, you know, if you can't practice, you know, if, if Pierre Brooks can't practice, he can't play. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. But but Malik Hall has shown that because of all the basketball he's played at MSU, I, I think, and and how quickly he got back into the swing of things, it was much different than when Jaden Akins came back. I mean, Malik was basically back, like he didn't look like he'd lost a step. Right when he came back and he had a longer, at least during the season, he had a longer period by like what, at least a couple weeks. Oh yeah. Longer than, weeks, than yeah. Jaden had. Right. Yeah. And he came right back. So I wouldn't be surprised. I'm guessing, but I wouldn't be surprised if they also try to deal with it, mitigate it a little bit there as well to say, well, look, let's give him, you know, obviously he'll be there. He'll be doing the mental stuff but maybe not be putting him through the same kind of physical stuff in practice that his teammates are going through, figuring that he's okay without it. And the primary thing is getting out of him what they can get out of him in games. I, I would say the other, the other thing I've thought about, which again, this is purely speculative, but now that everybody, and, and this seems to jibe with what you heard from your specialist colleague, that, now that everybody seems to have landed on this idea that this is about the healing process and he's really not at risk of further injury, at least not this injury, he's not at risk of exacerbating it, right? Um, if that's true, then should he hurt it again? Should he land on somebody's foot, come up hobbling a little bit? I would tend to think that it will be treated differently than it has been up until now. Because I think up until now, the concern was, oh God, he can't, we can't have him re-injure himself, make it worse, go back, all that stuff. It seems to me now what they're saying is, this is really about pain management, yep. you know? And so what that might mean is, okay, say he hurts himself in a game and he can't come back in it might mean that he doesn't sit out the next one though, that as long as he's feeling okay in the interim and the pain has gone away, that he'll go ahead and play. And I think that's a better outcome, at least theoretically than where they've been, where when he hurts it, they're worried about a re-injury. Now it seems they've kind of moved past that. Of course, that's all assuming that these diagnoses that they've been getting are correct. Yeah. But you know, I, Look, the, the thing to me, and, and you and certainly your specialist colleague would know a lot better than me, but I noted that game against Illinois, he was in the handshake line. He was getting up and walking around during the timeouts, 
did not look, he wasn't limping, at least not that I could detect, didn't look like he was suffering through immense amounts of pain at that moment. Because if you are, you're just staying off your feet, right? Um, so I think what they were doing, it wasn't that, oh my God, Malik can't put any weight on the foot. It's, we don't know what's gone wrong. And so we need to shut this down. We need to put them in a boot and we need to see what's going on with this and make a decision as to whether he can even play, you know, whereas it seems like now we're in a different spot. And if the next day he comes out and says, yeah, I can go. I think he's probably going to go. The only caveat I'd say is that this kid is going to have probably a hundred MRIs and CT scans before the end of the season. He's going to be getting him all the time. He probably could, uh, he probably should try and get like a two, uh, like, you know, a punch card or something because it's, exactly. you know, I was going to say, yeah, later on 19 and the 20th is free. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, mean, I think, I think that's what's going to happen because uh, to your point, I think, yeah, I think they're going to be much less concerned about things, but I bet you every time there's an injury, which I mean, hopefully there aren't anymore, but you know, he steps in a foot or whatever, and he tweaks it and it feels a little bit different. They're going to say, all right, let's just get this game. Make sure nothing new has happened. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that'll be happening a lot. And they'll make sure they've got the right person reading it, which is going to be a change too, rather than getting these, the guy who's on, cause it could have been a guy on call or something. He happened to be there and his you know partner was on vacation or something. You know, these orthopedic surgeons are probably like down in Cancun or something. And so anyway, I, I think that's, that's likely what, what happened. And, and I, I do agree. I think there'll be, there'll be much, they'll, probably give him rest him between games much more. And he's probably, yeah. he can do film work. We walk through, he can do shoot arounds. I mean, as long as you're not doing high impact stuff, I imagine it's going to be able, it's like resting that sort of injury for the most part, unless you're like jumping off it a lot. Yeah. I think all those things are primarily about mitigating that, you know, look, the, the fact is the less frequently he's on the court, the less frequent the opportunities are for him to have another incident. And, and so it stands to reason that if they think he can play and be, and be effective without going through the same practice regimen that everybody else is, then why would you not do that? I mean, there are a lot of guys you couldn't get away with that with. I think Malik call has shown that he probably is one that it's possible to, um, to do some of that. I don't mean that he's literally never going to practice, but, but, you know, you always, you, know, you tend to hear these stories after a season is done, but you do hear these stories where it comes out like after a season's done. Oh yeah. So-and-so didn't practice for the last month of the season. Yeah. Right. He only played in games. You know, it tends to be an experienced player, of course, because they're the ones who kind of, uh, not that you don't need practice, but if they have to, they can get away without it and still be effective. And I definitely think Malik's shown that that's a reasonable expectation for him. You know, yeah. like I would imagine he's going to continue, you know, he'll do all the shooting stuff, you know, the stuff that you need to do to get to stay sharp, walkthroughs, all of that. But he probably won't, maybe he doesn't do as much of the other kinds of things um, that they might, that they would do that, that puts you under a little more physical stress. Sure. And then as you say, maybe they'll, maybe they will bring him back in a way that he's not, they're not thinking anymore about, well, we got to get Malik back up to being a 25, 30 minute a night guy. Maybe they're going to say, you know what? 
we're going to take our chances and figure 15, 16, 17 minutes a night of Malik Hall versus not having him at all is worth it. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it'll be depend on him. I think it's mostly more than anything. Yeah. It's, it's about, uh, like we said at the outset, it, it seems like it's gotten down to pain management. It's a pretty remarkable story, but um, I was telling you before, um, before we started recording that th- this thing kind of reminds me just a little bit, the way the last week has gone. And uh, that many of our listeners will probably remember this at least vaguely the, the year that the Pistons won their last world championship. So what was it 2004 um, right in the early stages of the playoffs, there was a story that came out that Rashid Wallace had plantar fasciitis and he might be done. And that's, that's a condition. It's not the same thing Malik has, but that is a condition that, as I understand it, really the only fundamentally um, effective treatment for it is rest. Yep. Like just not, not going and putting stress on your foot. That's the only, or your heel. That's the only thing that's going to do it. And so this is like, he's done and it didn't end up missing a game. Like the next day or two <laughs> days after he's playing, he's fine. He's effective. And it just, it just disappears. Like I said, it's, it's never a story. That's kind of what this Malik call thing, at least in a very general way is reminding me of. Like we go from what I was originally hearing, which was, well, not, a, not apocalyptic to, Hey, he's probably done to, <laughs> well, we might get him back in two or three weeks to, yeah, he's going to practice tomorrow. I yeah. mean, it's, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, well, it, you know, this is it, it's all soft tissue injuries. They're hard to sort of predict and stuff unless you have to tear sure. and stuff. It's just like you know. Uh, well, we'll we'll obviously see. We'll keep we'll we'll keep you abreast of what's going on as as soon as we learn something. We'll have it. Maybe we'll probably have a new update after the Indiana game, right? I mean, I think that's entirely possible. I don't think anybody's thinking like like you were alluding to. I think Iowa next week would which what Thursday? Yeah. Um, that's probably the earliest you would see him. I don't think there's any chance in hell, even if he goes through that practice tomorrow and he's pain free, I would be shocked to see him in Bloomington, but who the hell knows? We, we, we could have said that about nine different times <laughs> in the last week. So I guess you can't rule it out. It's like we're looking for Sasquatch now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think I was maybe more realistic. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's get back to talking about Indiana, the Hoosiers, uh, they beat Illinois in Champaign-Urbana and just destroyed Illinois. They ended up, uh, and I think they ended up only winning by ten, but they're up almost twenty. They're fifteen, for, yeah, 15, fifteen. But they were up game. by twenty some. I mean, they 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 took that game over about the maybe the ten minute mark of the first half, and it was a blowout. Fifteen does not do it justice. They ran Illinois out of their own gym. And uh, they are twenty fifth on offense per Ken Palm analytics and forty first on defense. So offense, they're much better. They the one thing, strange thing, you know, growing up with Indiana, you always could count on them shooting well. They have they just weren't a very good outside shooting team. And then this year they've gotten much better. They're thirty seven percent from three. They're eleventh inside inside the, in sorry in the nation inside the arc. Uh, they do have some weaknesses. They're not. Uh, they do turn the ball over some. They're number one hundred and seventeenth in turnovers. They're one hundred fifty ninth in offensive rebounding percentage. And they rarely get to line. They're number 240th in field, uh, free throw attempts. And then they don't hit the free throws very well. They're under 70% for free throw sh- shooting. They're very good in, on defense against twos at number 25, partly because they're a good shot blocking team with number 14th in percent ranking. 
They also don't foul a whole lot and uh, defensively rebound pretty well at number 67. But they give up a lot of three-point attempts. Uh, they're number 194th in that, and uh, the opponents are usually shooting pretty well. So I know you could say it's a luck factor, or maybe it's that they're really open, and so they're hitting 40% of their shots from deep on average. And uh, so that puts them at 225th, and they don't do much for generating turnovers. So they are uh, a little different than last year's team, but because they're a better shooting team, but you know they still have the, the main components are still the same as last season. Yeah, a lot of guys back, but but they're not the same team as they were last year right now. And so what we didn't talk about there is that they're down 40% of their starting lineup from the beginning of the year. So Xavier Johnson, their, their guard, who to me has been the king of empty stats. <laughs> you look at his stat line and it looks decent in many respects but when when a play needs to be made at critical junctures he usually fails at least what i've observed i i would i would lose my mind if he was the point guard of my team <laughs> the decision making that he displays especially in late game situations um he got hurt um uh, four games ago and they're talking about march as a best case for his getting back. And then they just recently for the last two games, I believe they've been missing race Thompson, their power forward who has over the last few years has formed a very good one, two punch in the post with trace Jackson Davis. Yeah. And so that, that loss, but what's funny is Indiana has been, I mean, up until the last week, let's be honest, it's been a bad year. Like they've had a few moments here and there where things looked okay, but they they got handled by Arizona and they really got handled by Kansas in the non-conference. Um, so they, they didn't have a lot of big positive moments there. And then in the league, they got off to a one and four start. Yeah. And, and not competitive in some games like Penn State at Penn State which was just before this two-game win streak they're on currently, uh, just handled them. I mean, it was not competitive for, for most of that game. Penn State just was clearly, clearly the better team. And so you're beginning to wonder, you know, Indiana going from the preseason favorite in the Big Ten, which I think we were clearly skeptical of that. I think a lot of people were for good reason. Um, and then they start, you go from that, though, to, God, are they going to be a tournament team? Could they not make the tournament this year with those preseason expectations and the talent that they have? But I think, you know, at least the last two games, with those two guys out, they've had to do some different things. So they've plugged in some different guys in different roles or enhanced roles, let's say than what they had been playing previously. Like Jordan Geronimo is their starting power forward now. And he's had the two, maybe the two best games of his career, these last two games, stepping in for Race Thompson. You know, um, Jordan Hood Chafino, their their six, seven freshman point guard, was having a good season anyway, but I think he's been better since Xavier Johnson got hurt. Mm-hmm. Because it's now more clearly 
hey, this is, we need you. It's your thing. You're, you don't have any confusion over roles, competition around. It's clearly him that's going to be the focal point in terms of initiating offense. So I think that's helped. Um, but look, <laughs> Indiana in particular and the Big Ten in general is not exactly a place this year you go to find consistency. <laughs> you know, Indiana's game last night, prime example of this. They go into Illinois. Illinois was on, I think, a three-game win streak. Yep. Um, maybe a four-game win streak, actually. I think it might have been four because I think they were 0-3 and, and, yeah, and then they right. were 4-3 and three heading into last night. So four straight. We saw, you know, they played, they played a very good game against Michigan State. Uh, I still think Michigan State should have and could have won that game, but Illinois played well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been good otherwise. And so people were, okay, Illinois figured it out. They got it together. And then Indiana goes into their gym and just blitzes them, just pounded them, was not competitive, was not close. Um, so <laughs> what does that mean? You know, Ohio State wins their first two Big Ten games. Uh, they win some <laughs> competitive in the non-conference. People start talking about them as maybe a team that can challenge. They've lost five straight. I know this much. I don't. I haven't even looked at the schedule to see who they get next. But whoever it is, I don't want to be them. It's Iowa. Yeah, I don't want to be Iowa <laughs> because Iowa's been streaky, right? They yeah. had a rough start. Then they started winning some games. Um, you know, it's it's all around the league. You know, Purdue's the only one that's managed to sidestep it, and then negatively Minnesota in the other direction. But in Purdue's case, look, they, I mentioned it the other day, they could very, very, very easily have four losses in the league. Yeah. They probably should because in every one of those games, I don't think they were the better team. I saw all of them. I don't think they were the better team in any of those games. You know, they stole one in Nebraska. They stole one against Ohio State. I think most of us feel they stole the one in East Lansing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is, it's that kind of year. And so Indiana feels good right now. And maybe it continues. Maybe the streak continues. But, man, if you've won a few in a row, hold on to your hats because the next <laughs> L is coming right around the corner. That's the way it's been. And yeah. maybe, a, maybe two or three L's. Well, and I feel like ours are, uh, losses for Michigan state are always sort of predicated on, you know, people being injured or out or, you know, and, uh, or, you know, weird rest schedules and stuff. And so the other teams are, are, I think as far as I can tell, it just inexplicable. Like I, you look at, I was run recently. Well, they lost Patrick McCaffrey and they haven't lost since they're like four, they won four in a row. They're like four and three now. Right. And as you mentioned, Ohio state won the first two, then loses their next five. And I don't think there's anything particular that happened as far as person coming in or out, but a lot of those games, and this is to your point really early when you're talking about preseason, so many games, in the big 10 are decided windows that are what five to 10 points. Absolutely. That really it's only a couple of possessions, a couple of mistakes here, or there, or whatever that decide the outcomes of these games, you know, missing from free throws or something. And so the margin for error is so small that it is entirely, especially with teams that all are pretty good you're going to have huge fluctuations in these runs that are really don't make any sense, but that's just kind of the way it, the way it's going to be this season. I think look, look at another game last night, Michigan beat Maryland in Ann Arbor by 35, not too long ago. 
they go to Maryland and not only get beat, but really it wasn't a huge margin at the end of the game, but it was a decisive Maryland victory. Yeah. And Maryland had been in the skids, right? I mean, Maryland had been playing terribly and they rise up and, and handle Michigan. Not that I think Michigan's any good, but you know, you get the point. It's just, you're right. The, the, the margins are so slim and everybody's got significant flaws. Everybody. But as I, I keep saying this, <laughs> it's not just the big 10. Right. If you look at where the big 10 is, is situated um, in the metrics as a league, it's in pretty good shape. I think it's second behind the big 12 in Ken Palm right now mm-hmm. as a conference. Um, it lacks a powerhouse because I don't think Purdue's really a powerhouse, but show me a powerhouse anywhere in the country. People start talking about Kansas as that. Kansas doesn't have a starter taller than six, seven. It's not a <laughs> typical Kansas team. They're good. Don't get me wrong, but they're not great. Yeah. Houston, eh, you know, at times they can look really good. But they're playing in the American. I don't think they're getting tested very regularly. And there are times that that team can still kind of hit the skids offensively. You know, you trust them to win six straight. I don't know. Alabama seems to be the team du jour right now. And there's a lot of physical talent on that team. But any team that plays the way that they do is absolutely subject to just a stink bomb of a night from three. And it's over. Yeah, right. You know, and they, I don't believe that they have enough counter punches in terms of what they do if they hit a night like that. And they will at some point. They've just got to pray that it's not one of those six games in, in March, you know. So it's everywhere that, that that is the story of college basketball this season. We are used to typically at least one, two, three teams kind of separating themselves from everybody else. And they and and then they become teams that you have to look very, very closely to find any flaws. You don't have to look very closely to find flaws with anybody this year. So I don't think it's anything that's unique to the Big Ten per se. But what it's what it's meant is day to day, game to game, minute to minute. uh, It's wild. It's wild. And you're going to see these results. That see, just when you think you've got your handle on something, you're going to see uh, an event that's going to completely blow that conception out of the water. That's where I think we are. And people just have to accept it. So when we get to March at the end of this, the teams are going to be in the best shape. Are we the teams that managed to mitigate those weaknesses the best and most consistently? And there's probably not going to be a very big difference between whatever team that might be and a team that's six or seven spots below them in the standings. I mean, look at last word, and then we can get back to Indiana. But, you know, look, Purdue, by virtual winning all these games that we think they probably should have lost, does seem at this point, I, they got a two-game lead right now in the loss column. It could be a scenario where you look at Purdue at the end and you say, well, okay, they won it by two, three games, which is pretty decisive. Yeah. In, in the modern big 10, but if they do that, whomever they match up with on the Friday of the big 10 tournament, which would be likely, likely an eight or a nine seed, I think, um, definitely an eight or a nine seed. 
I don't think Purdue would be any kind of lock to win that game. No, I just don't. It's that there's just not that much of a difference. Is Purdue a good team? Yes. Are they a great team? Hell no. So the other thing about, let's talk about Indiana then for a little bit. You know, Trace Jackson Davis is, is kind of a, to me, sort of an enigma, right? Like he's a guy who just disappears some games. And I'm like, I'm not sure if he's disappearing because Indiana fails to get him the ball because I'll watch a game and I was at the big 10 tournament. I watched and there were long stretches where he just wouldn't get the ball. And it looked like he was trying to get it. And they just, the ball would get into him. And you know, to your point, maybe it's Xavier Johnson, just not feeding it and running the he's offense. Right part through him. of it. He's, no, that's absolutely true. Look, I'll, I'll give you a stat. I had this elsewhere in the preview, but I'll throw it out now since you bring it up. In the last two games, Michigan State has faced Indiana. So this is the second game of 20. Oh, no. I think actually they've only faced Indiana um, once each of the two previous years. So in the COVID year and then in um, in uh, meaning the year that we were playing with COVID, not the one that got the tournament got canceled. Yeah. Um, and then last season. So those the two most recent games. Trace Jackson Davis has attempted a combined 17 shots from the floor in two games. So that's an average of eight and a half free uh, attempts from the field. That doesn't even come close to being enough, not even close. And I don't Michigan state in those games, they didn't throw any junk defenses at them. I mean, look, uh, give the post players, I seem to remember in last year's game that Joey Hauser did a really nice job, kind of forced to play out of position a little bit, and he worked his ass off. But Michigan State wasn't doing anything. You say, look, come hell or high water, Trace Jackson Davis isn't getting shots. They didn't play it that way. Indiana's guard play for the entirety of the Archie Miller era was dog, was awful. And and some of those guys individually had some talent. Like I always liked Al Durham, who ended up finishing his career at Providence last season. But they had some guys that I thought were okay individually. But as a collective unit, they're, the things you need from, from guards were never there at a high enough level. They just weren't. Um, you flash forward to this year, and it's better, but I still don't think their guard play is good. I mean, there's certain things they do, like we're going to talk about these guys as individuals. They are finally shooting the ball far better than we've seen since primetime Tom Crean, which is now a while ago. <laughs> yeah. That's two coaching staffs ago, believe it or not. Um, so it's been a long time since they've shot the ball as well as they are this year. But you know what? They, I, I watch this team. Their guards don't – they don't make – anybody else better their ball movement is a moment to moment kind of thing i don't they don't have a guy that they can rely on as a rock solid we need somebody to go out there and make a play either for themselves or somebody else they can handle the for themselves part sometimes they don't handle the for for somebody else bit very well and Trace Jackson Davis, I mean, he had a huge game against Illinois at 35 points. Right. So he's coming in off a heater. But there have still been nights this year, if you look at the numbers, where you you look at it and you have to say to yourself, how the hell is he not getting twice as many shots as he did? 
it happens way too frequently, and that's about guard play. He is a weapon. He is a very good offensive player, and uh, they've never, his whole career, they've never used him properly, in my opinion. He's never gotten the amount of touches that he should have. He, he made a mistake. Look, flat out, I'll say it, I'm biased as hell. He made a mistake. Yeah. If he'd come to Michigan State, his career would look very different. First of all, he would have been in three straight NCAA tournaments and working on a fourth. <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing. But he would have gotten the ball so much more consistently and been u- utilized so much better than he has been in Indiana. But whatever. He's an Indiana kid. He went with his heart. Yeah. Enjoy it. <laughs> but it hasn't <laughs> been what the career could have been. It's been a very good career, but it could have been a great one. In a different do you, situation. Do you think some of it is also him though, that he, you know, maybe because people have said the same thing about Malik last year. Like he would just kind of disappear. Like I don't know if his intensity level. He was on the floor, but he just wouldn't take shots. He wouldn't. He wasn't aggressive. Is it is a little bit of it that? Do you think with Trace Jackson Davis and and I also feel like sometimes his his stats seem sort of empty. But like like you mentioned with Xavier Johnson. Yeah, but I don't look. I think that. Um, I mean, there may be Indiana fans who watch every possession much more intently than I do. But when I see him play, I see a guy that's making himself available, that knows how to post and does post aggressively. I've never felt like I was watching a guy who just like, let's put it this way. You might have an argument if like Hunter Dickinson, for example, yeah, I love games. Even last, even last year started to get some criticism because he discovered that he could actually hit a three occasionally. So he started drifting a lot more. Trace Jackson Davis doesn't do that. He doesn't, he hasn't attempted a three point shot this year. I don't know that he ever has in his career. If he has it's single digits, like total for, for four years. Um, So I know I, I, I put most, I put the vast majority of it, on their guard play. And then that comes back around to your coaching staff. I was going to say coaching is the next thing, right? It's two separate coaching staffs that have done this. And, and I don't get it. I mean, Mike Woodson is coming off being an NBA lifer. The NBA, if it is about anything, it is about finding mismatches and relentlessly exploiting them. It's the single biggest difference between college basketball and the NBA strategically in my mind is that in college, all too often teams do not adequately exploit mismatches. Like you might see a switch where you get a big on a small and the team never gets the big, the ball in the post, right? You see it all the time. It drives me crazy. (laughs) Um, You do not see that in the NBA. If there is a mismatch of any type in NBA team, nine times out of 10, and I might be shortchanging them on that, is going to find that with laser-like precision. That's what they do. And so Mike Woodson's coming from that environment. How the hell can he look at this and not see that he's got, he's got a guy who is going to be, he's going to have the advantage against almost anybody he plays against. Yeah, for sure. And not make sure that guy gets minimum 15, 16 shots a night. How? Yeah. Well, you'd say that only would be the case if you're scoring a ton from somewhere else all the time consistently. And that was, has not been Indiana's history the last few years. It's fine. Yeah. If you've got two all American guards. Okay. You know, I used to years ago about, I never thought Andre Hudson got enough touches, but 
he was playing with Mateen Cleaves and Charlie Bell and Morris Peterson <laughs> and Jason Richardson. So, you know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we talk about the stars, I just want to remind our listeners that nudge printing is a great place to get your Spartan gear and apparel. Uh, you can get sweatshirts, t-shirts. Uh, I've gotten, uh, I got a number of them. They're great, great screen printing. And the really cool thing is they do have the vintage, they have license for the vintage Michigan state stuff. So they have the regular stuff like the little Spartan helmet and stuff, but they also have the gruff Sparty and um, like, you know, basketball ones and all sorts of different things. And so I, you know, I encourage you to go to check out their website. They're at nudgeprinting.com. Listeners of the show get 20% off their order by entering that, uh, the code final four into the coupon uh, screen. And, you know, the story of nudges, I think really interesting. Gabe is a Michigan state alum along with his wife, Brittany and, and Gabe, Gabe was looking to wanted to buy a fat head, of course, you know, like when he's younger and couldn't find one, found someone who actually made them. And they said, well, we're not going to just make one. We'll give you 10. And so he had to buy 10 and then he had to sell the rest. And he thought, huh, maybe I could make a business out of this. I think that's probably the story of like half the entrepreneurs in the, the world. So pretty neat story. And then it's a Michigan based company, obviously. And so I encourage you to go check it out at nudgeprinting.com. And so, well, let's talk about the starters here for Indiana. I, I thought it was funny because, you know, as I'm sure listeners realize that, that uh, Rod gives me a printout. He does the research for this, but uh, for Indiana, he only has four starters on the list, <laughs> but that's, but that's okay. Cause we'll start. Well, I'll know which one Trace Jackson Davis. <laughs> oh my God. Really? Yeah. That was pretty funny. I'm like, you mentioned, that. I'm like, Oh yeah, he should be here somewhere. Where is I, I know I put him down. That must have, something must have happened. Yeah, it's kind That's of funny. That's really weird. No, I I remember vividly typing his stats in because he's averaging like eighteen and change a game. Nine. We'll start with him. Rebounds. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll, well start with Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, we've already talked about him. Uh, he's athletic. He's he's long. He's got all kinds of great post moves. And he, I mean, he's there without a doubt. He's been their best player in the team for. I mean, I don't know, probably since he got there, right? I don't think he's been any better than him. You could make an argument that his freshman year, he was one or one A. Yeah, and ever since, clearly, he's been their best player. And this is his senior year. There was there was discussion. And you even hear Izzo mention it. Uh, I think he was doing an interview or some sort of a sort of uh, one of his press conferences, sort of like unofficial ones after practice or something, where he was mentioned, you know, that Michigan State was sort of in the running for Trace Jackson Davis. He oh, that, more than more than was, sort of in the running. They he were. He was that transfer portal everyone option. wanted, right? He's the one everyone. So this is these. Are, so the the assertions that you know, Michigan State is oh ah not looking at. The, he wants to stick with all he's got. Well, I think you know, if he had someone that he thought was really great and was a huge upgrade at his team, he was going to go after him, and they went after Trace Jackson Davis. And I think I think you mentioned oh, you in talk, the summer. Are you, you talking about the transfer portal? Yeah, transfer portal. No, he ne- that that was th- there were rumors to that effect. I thought that's he, what he's talking about today. Was he talking he about was just the original no, He was. I think he was referring to oh, in okay. high school. I the, thought he was the rumor. About the just just to clarify for people, you know, there were rumors last off season that um, Trace Jackson Davis might hit the portal. That he was kind of frustrated with where things were at Indiana, and if that were the case, that. Um, Michigan State, who had run a very, very strong race in his high school recruitment, uh, would be a very logical choice. You know, having supposed issues at the five and, you know, coaching staff knew him, he knew the league, blah, blah, blah. Well, it never, it never got there. He never decided 
to enter the portal. I think what Izzo was referring to is when he was recruited out of high school. So that was the year that MSU went very hard after three guys who were all McDonald's All-Americans at that position. One was Vernon Carey. The second one was Isaiah Stewart, who's now with the Pistons. And the third one was Trace Jackson Davis. And at various points, I think they thought they were getting all three of those guys. Like, that's how competitive they were in all those races. But, of course, they ended up getting none of them. Right. Um, and it was very disappointing. Uh, but, yeah, Trace Jackson Davis is a guy and I, that they loved. And, look, I, I think I think he would have been great at Michigan State. I think he's – it would have taken him some time because it took some time at Indiana for him to become a better defender. But I actually think he's he's reasonably good as a pick-and-roll guy. He is great as a rim protector. He averages three blocks a game. Yeah. So you make a pretty good case that he's the best rim protector in the league. Uh, just shy of averaging a double-double. He's at like 9.8 rebounds, um, 18 and change in points. Um, he's shooting very well from the floor. And he's actually, if you remember a couple of years ago, MSU won that game against Indiana at the Brez in part because they, they put Trace Jackson Davis on the free throw line a lot, and he wasn't very good there. Well, he's just shy of 70% this year. So he's, he's worked to get good enough that you can't really employ hack a TJD and, and feel like you're on solid ground, but yeah, he's there. He's their main guy. There's no doubt about it. And you know, he's not, he's not quite the gravitational force that Zach Eadie is, but he's pretty close. And I, I would say in a league that's filled with high quality, big men, He's separated himself from Hunter Dickinson, in my opinion. I think he's pretty clearly the second best big man in the league this year behind Edie. Well, I retract everything I said about his recruiting. It, it would surprise me that he would be talking about transfer portal. He transfer, would never do that. That's why anyway. I thought it was yeah, weird. But, that makes a lot more sense yeah. then. Uh, yeah, yeah. He did mention that he's still friends with his, his dad, so he still stays in contact. Which well, is and you know who his, his father is, is uh, Antonio Davis, the former Indiana Pacer. Oh, okay. Um, so he's got pro bloodlines. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's an Indianapolis kid. I think Jaron Jackson's experience at MSU was mm -hmm. a big positive in that recruitment. And, you know, then again, his dad was an NBA guy. So I think, I think that all played into it, but in the end it was, you know, home state pull just outweighed Michigan state. And sometimes that's going to happen when you're recruiting a kid from, from out of the state, you know? Right. All right, well, let's go on to uh, Jalen Hood-Shafino, uh, 6'7", freshman point guard, who I think everyone's talking about is potentially a one-and-done, but definitely a pro prospect. Oh, yeah. He's been, he's been playing really well recently of the, last, of the last few games, as you mentioned earlier, that when since Xavier Johnson's gone down, now that it's sort of his show. He's averaging 13.2 points a game and 45, 44, and 67 shooting, 4.3 rebounds a game. Leads the team with assists with 67, but does turn the ball over quite a bit with uh, 47 turnovers. Yeah, and and that's that's the problem, I think. You know, when when I watch him play, I see a guy at, you know, once again, Michigan, another feature of a lot of teams, not everybody, but a lot of teams in the Big Ten this year, more than I can remember. And I don't think this is something we've talked about. Really big point guards. 
Yeah. Like in a normal Big Ten year, AJ Hogard would be your deluxe size point guard. But you've got Nebraska running uh, Greece out there at six six. Um, you, we just faced Mulcahy at six six. Rutgers. Now you've got a Hood Shafino at six seven. There are a lot, uh, you know, and, and then a guy like Pickett at Penn State, who's also like AJ, like about six four doesn't seem as big whereas in a normal year you'd be like yeah that's a big point guard you're dealing with. <laughs> right yeah so it's it's something else the size thing has has become such a a feature of a lot of big 10 teams all of a sudden uh, more than we typically see but anyway he's very capable of getting his own shot i mean he's he that and that's primarily why and how you can tell this is a guy who's heading to the NBA. If not this offseason, then probably the next one. Right. Um, when you got that size and that kind of ability to go get your shot and you hit them, you know, he's shooting the three very well. He's shooting from everywhere really well. That That's what a, constitutes a pro. And, and that's what he's going to be at some point. But I think they've been playing better, obviously, to some extent. Um, at least the last week, once Xavier Johnson went down. The week before that, they were awful, though, so I'm not quite sure that it's one of these addition-by-subtraction things just yet. But I, I'm just not convinced that Hood Shafino is the kind of really effective true point guard who goes out and gets things done for other people that I think this team could really use. They're a pretty good offensive team in general. We talked about it primarily because they shoot the ball very well this right, year. Right. But if they had that kind of element, if they had somebody who could do the things that Hogard does, wow. I mean, it would go to another level. They just don't. So very good player. No question about that. World of potential. I just think the one thing he's missing is I'm not sure that he's a guy who elevates everybody around him. So the next guard is Trey Galloway, 6'5", junior. He's been starting now since with uh, Xavier Johnson out. He averages seven points a game on 57, 46, and 68 shooting. Uh, but he doesn't obviously shoot high volume since he's only averaging seven points a game. Better than a 2-to-1 assist to turnover ratio. Uh, he's just kind of a solid, versatile guy, and which was why he was a good guy coming off the bench initially. He's he's a good player. He's really the shooting efficiency has come way up this year. After his first two years, he just struggled to make jumpers, so that helps. Uh, but as you say, he's not a high volume guy in any in, in in any case. Good defender, versatile defender, pretty good athlete. He was a guy Michigan State recruited. They were very interested in him. I know he was up here for one of the. It must have been 2019 Midnight Madness, I think. Okay. He was in East Lansing. Then Indiana got him. He's an Indiana kid. You know, it's going to happen. Sure. Um, sure. But he's, you can see why Mike Woodson likes him um, because he's just, he's an energy guy. You know, he's, when he's out there, he tends to be somebody who can make things happen. Defensively, he can do that a little bit. you know, if he gets a good look, he can bury it. Uh, he's just, he's evolved into kind of the, the first two years of his career. I felt like he was a guy they were playing primarily just to get energy. Right. He wasn't all that productive, but he's still giving them energy, but he's a lot more productive, a lot more efficient. 
So next is Miller Cop, 6'7", super senior. He's a wing came from Northwestern. He's averaging 8.3 points a game on 51, 46, and 87 shooting, mainly a three-point shooter. And he's definitely shooting, I, I guess I don't know what his numbers were last season, but it, I, my impression is he's shooting a lot better this year. I, I thought he was Way better. disappointing last year for what they, I, certainly what they expected. Absolutely. Yeah, because he was a very good jump shooter at Northwestern, and then he transferred to Indiana, and uh, he I don't know where he finished, but it was well down into the 30s. I don't think it was any higher than the mid-30s. might have even been the low 30s. So he has bounced back substantially. But the problem that's there with Miller Cop is the same one that's been there his entire career, be it in Evanston or now in Bloomington. If he's hitting threes, if he's taking and making three-point shots, he can help you. But that's the only thing he really does. Yep. 70% of his shots come from three. So, you know, there's the story. He doesn't get to the line a lot. He's never been a very good defensive player. He doesn't rebound. So it's really that. You know, if he's taking shots and making shots, then he's going to not only put points on the board for you, but he's going to stress a defense because he's forcing them to account for where he is. It stretches things, should create better opportunities for teammates as well. But if he's not taking shots, if you're able to limit the looks he gets and or he's having a rough night, he doesn't help you much. Right. Yeah, I remember watching that Big Ten tournament thing he was missing all these shots. I'm like, why is he on the floor? He's terrible. Everywhere, everywhere else, he's like a, he's just like a net negative. It, it in many ways, kind of reminded me of a Pierre Brooks, like a guy who's just kind of struggled everywhere else. And you're like, yeah. well, if he's giving yep. you a lot in one spot, you can say, well, you know, you can sort of overlook the deficiencies, but he wasn't even doing that last year. Well, it's the thing, like, like to, to a, a counterpoint, you know, is the play that Michigan State has been getting from Joey Hauser this year. Joey Hauser has been a very reliable shooter for them, but he can have an off night shooting from deep, especially, and still make an impact because he's right. a very good defensive rebounder. He's an improved defender to the point. He's, I don't think he's a liability anymore. Um, he can make plays for other people. He's a very good passer and he can occasionally go get you a bucket around the rim. You don't get those things from Miller cop. It's three pointers or bust. Yeah. Uh, finally, then it'd be Jordan Geronimo, six six junior. Uh, he's now in the starting lineup. He's replacing, as you mentioned earlier, Brace Thompson, who got the knee injury. He's averaging six points a game on fifty five, twenty two, and sixty two shooting with a three and a half rebounds a game in sixteen minutes, and gets a block a game too. Yeah, but but look at the numbers over yeah. the last two. Been better, yeah, double doubles since he's, almost since he's been in the starting lineup. Yeah, he's um. He's been markedly better. As I said, I think you can make a pretty good case that they're the two best games of his Indiana career. And, and I've been a little bit surprised that it's taken him this long because when they got him and I first, and he's a junior now, so this would be two years ago. when I first got a look at him, what I thought was going to happen, Indiana, even during this period of time where they haven't been all that good, um, Crane had a knack for finding some guys who were undervalued as recruits, but fit a kind of mold. He did it twice, Victor Oladipo and then OG Ananobi. If you remember him from a few years ago, these guys in the six, five to six, seven range who 
for one reason or another, were not really, really highly rated. They might be like back-end top 100 guys or even outside of the top 100. But they get to Indiana, and you look at them, they're well put together physically. They're strong, like right out of the chute. Didn't need a year to build up. Gifted athletically, and then gradually develop better skill sets. When I got a look at Geronimo, I thought, well, this is the next guy in that mold. I really did, because mm-hmm. he physically, he looked like those guys. Very good athlete. And I thought, okay, the shot doesn't look that bad. It'll probably take him a while, but it'll eventually get that dialed in enough, and they're going to have another very good player. Has not happened really until the last week. <laughs> um, he's still struggling shooting jumper, so that's not a strength. But he has put up two very big rebounding games. He's been energetic. He's been able to finish around the rim. You know, all things that this team needs, especially race Thompson, our race Thompson, very valuable player for Indiana at the four. He's been a great tag team partner for TJD over their careers. And he's not there and they, they don't know how long he's going to be. The sense I get is it's going to be a while longer till they get him back. And, um, but if they get this level of play out of, uh, out of Geronimo, they don't miss him as much because this is a different guy than he's been. Right. So then we've already talked about TJD. So let's talk about the reserves versus Tamar, not Imani Bates. 6'4", sophomore wing, averaging 8.2 points a game on 46, 38, and 93 shooting and averaging 23 points a game. 23 minutes a game. I'm sorry. Yeah. 23 minutes. A game. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, he, you know, he's been an interesting guy. He was a, a, a late rising recruit a couple of years ago. And he had been, I think he had been previously committed to Texas. And then when Chaka smart left, he reopened his recruitment in Indiana, got him. And in the meantime, between when he had committed to Texas and then he did a big rise up the rankings. Cause he, he was every year, You'll usually have just a handful of guys who have big senior years. If you remember, Michigan State was involved in one of those guys a few years ago, Mark Smith, who ended up going to Illinois. And then right. I think he played at eight other schools. But um, <laughs> sometimes that happens where there's, there's usually two or three guys nationally that just catch people's attention. And, and Bates was one of those guys. And so Indiana thought they really had something with him. And last year, you could see the potential, but you also saw a lot of inconsistency. I think this year, the difference is he's been a little more consistent. Um, the shot's been a little more consistent because uh, he's yet another guy you got to worry about as a three-point shooting threat. Um, maybe a little more consistent defensively. He's another pretty good athlete. I mean, there's a lot to like there. So he, he definitely, um, I, I would say he's a guy that, in the way that most people define the word talent, he probably has more talent than Trey Galloway has. But, you know, that Galloway gives Indiana some things that they really feel they need. And yet Bates is still playing 23 minutes a night off the bench. So it's not that big a deal. Right. He's still getting starter-esque minutes. Exactly. Uh, so next reserve would be Malik Renault, 6'9", 230-pound freshman, playing both at the four and the five, averaging eight points a game on 55, 14, and 57 shooting, and a little under four rebounds a game in 15 minutes. Yeah, very talented kid. You know, he and Hood Shafino were both McDonald's All-Americans, if I remember correctly. And I think they had big expectations for, for Renault. And 
you know, he's been okay. I mean, he hasn't been bad. He certainly has given them much better depth at the four and the five than they've had the last few years. They've had problems when, you know, when Trace Jackson Davis would get in foul trouble or had to get rest, they just had been unable in re- over his career to really roll somebody else out there that could do the job, you know, short, short of the one year they had a healthy Joey Brunk. That was okay. But, um, you know, like last year they had a grad transfer in, didn't, didn't do much. I mean, it's been mm-hmm. a tough role to fill. This kid has filled it. Um, he shouldn't take threes and he, he doesn't take a, a boatload of them, but he still takes too many given that he's shooting 14%. 14%. Yeah. But, um, but he's, he's a nice player. I mean, and again, he has size to play the five, but he's got enough mobility that they can and do play him at the four. Sometimes you will see him out there with TJD and that becomes a very, a very nice set of bigs that can move. They can still move. So valuable, valuable piece to have off their bench. Next is six, six freshman wing uh, and aptly named CJ Gunn, who's supposed to be their outside shooter, but he's not shooting really well yet. He's averaging only two points a game in nine minutes, shooting 31% from the floor and only 9% from three. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a struggle. Um, and that is the role they see him in. You know, he's a long player, six, six on the wing, good size, but the, what they anticipate is that he will be a shooting threat. This happens, you know, with freshmen. Sometimes they come in as guys come in with a reputation and they really struggle. And it, it's not that they've forgotten how to shoot. It's that, and, and we, we talk about this sometimes in relation to guys that are transferring up. Um, you see it uh, not so much this year because for whatever reason, there've been a lot of, of uh, perimeter players in the big 10 who have really translated very well in that respect. I think in part because the, they have quick releases, but um, oftentimes you'll see those, those kind of players, their, their three point shooting numbers come down considerably like 10 points or whatever, dramatic decreases in efficiency and it's i think a lot of it is that as you go up in level well in the big 10 you're facing better athletes oftentimes bigger athletes and you're also facing better coaching so you know better defensive schemes you're scouted better all of that so it means that your shot windows are probably smaller um you know and that's a big deal and i think the same kind of things can apply to guys making the transition from high school so that it could take a year to really fully adjust to how much faster the game is played at this level, how much better the athletes are that you're facing, how much better uh, the coaching is. And so you, you get these kind of results occasionally. Sometimes they translate immediately, but it goes this way a lot. And finally, Logan Duncombe, 6'10", sophomore, averaging 2.9 points a game on 75% from the floor and a meager 29% at the line with a little under two rebounds a game. Now, if he's in the game in a big moment, for God knows what reason, (laughs) him, we could play hack a Logan. Not so much with TJD anymore, but with him, yeah. Um, You know, I think he's from Ohio, if I remember correctly. They got him last year. Didn't play a lot last year. He's playing a little bit more this year. It's right now. I think 
he's more likely to see the floor than he would have been because Thompson is out. So that makes them one further down in their post group, but it's not going to be big minutes. Right. Highly doubtful. Yeah. And that's the kind of person you'd expect almost if Kohler's in the game, he just goes at him. Right. I mean, yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think, I think what you're seeing is we've gone through Indiana and that's really it for the playing group right now, but that's in part because they're missing two guys. Right. You know, yeah. if you put Johnson, if you put Johnson and Thompson back in, well, all of a sudden that bench is, you know, pretty gone and, and Holcomb aren't playing much, if at all. And at that point, and, you know, you're nine deep with quality players, you know, productive guys. So the, the injuries have definitely had an impact in that respect, but you know, sometimes it does happen that you shorten that rotation and things somehow get better. I'm not convinced yet that's what's happened with Indiana because, again, they they had, the, you know, these two games they've won were f- preceded immediately by a loss to Northwestern at home and then <laughs> yeah. getting blasted by Penn State in Happy Valley. So... I think where we are is where we are with a lot of teams in this league, which is, which is the real one. Yeah. And I would submit that it's probably both <laughs> depending <laughs> on the night. Small sample size, right? It's tough to discern those sorts of things. Well, they just haven't. Yeah. Two wins. They're, they're big wins. You know, you blast Wisconsin at home, you blast Illinois on the road. Yeah. You're feeling good. And they should, they should definitely feel, don't get me wrong. They should definitely feel like, Hey, maybe we found something. And we're going to be able to salvage our season just yet, but you can't be blamed for being skeptical because it's two games. They win this one. And if they do it impressively, if they play really well, okay, then maybe you could start making a case that maybe they've discovered something. Yeah. With all these injuries, boy, Indiana would have, they should have gone to transfer portal, picked up a nice, really strong wing or something to just in case. Um, well, let's break for just a moment and we'll go to our nudge printing keys of the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, our nudge printing keys to the game. We'll start with the defensive game plan. And I think this is very interesting because I feel like there have been a it's always interesting when have when you have a team whose offensive focus is oftentimes their big man, you know, Dickinson, Edie, now TJD, right? You didn't see it with Rutgers, so I don't think Michigan State had to make that sort of decision what they're going to do. So what is 
what do you think is going to happen? And what do you, what's the conundrum, I guess, Michigan State's going to face with <laughs> TJD? It's a really good question, you know. Um, normally, in, in prior years, I would have been pretty convinced that what they're going to do is what they always do, which is they're going to play TJD straight up. And yeah, the post player will work as hard as they can to deny easy post entries. Guards will do the same on their end of it, but they're going to live with playing him straight up. And that's especially true because Indiana, again, in contrast to previous the last four or five years, this Indiana team collectively, they shoot well, but that starting lineup, all three of those perimeter guys, even if they're not all like Galloway isn't a high volume guy, but all three of them are mid forties guys from three. So, you know, do you feel like you can really gamble on that? That said, this year has been a different story by Michigan state. We have seen a variety of, of approaches against Michigan. They sent people often at Hunter Dickinson. What they did was they changed it up. Sometimes it was a dig down. Sometimes it was a pure double down with the four coming across. And then sometimes they didn't send anybody extra at all, but they also varied the timing of it. Sometimes the, you know, Hauser would come for the double team on the catch. Sometimes he might wait for Dickinson to take one dribble, you know, same thing with the digs. So they really kept Michigan off balance, but Michigan was not as good a three point shooting team as Indiana is. So I don't know against Purdue who was also not as good a three-point shooting team as Indiana is, Michigan State decided to play it conventionally. They're conventional and not double. They just did not send people at Zach Eady. Every once in a while, somebody might try a quick they, – they did dig down off Ethan, off Ethan Morton, but that was it. Right. And Indiana really – unless C.J. Gunn's playing – <laughs> Indiana really doesn't have because the three starters in those perimeter spots we said are all mid 40s guys. And then Bates plays the majority of the reserve minutes and he's at 38. So there's no weak links there. Yeah. So can you afford you could you could send a double off Geronimo or off Renault that you can do. But you can't you can't off any of the perimeter guys. I don't believe. Um, so what will they do? Will they decide, you know what, we're just going to deny threes and we're going to live with what we're going to play it the way we did against Purdue. TJD might go wild, but we're going to bet that they don't get enough going at it that way. That would also be breaking um, this prior pattern that I've mentioned where TJD doesn't tend to get a lot of shots against Michigan State. If, it, if it's a game where he's taking 18 shots from the floor, that's not a normal game for him, especially of late against MSU. So it's going to be fascinating. And I don't, uh, just as I said, going into the Purdue game, I don't know that I have a high degree of confidence as to which way Michigan state's going to go, which is probably a good thing because if I don't, I don't know how Mike (laughs) Woodson could, right. You know, they've done enough different stuff that, you at least have to, if you're Indiana, in the in the back of your mind, you at least have to think um, there's a possibility they could do anything. You know, but but in my opinion, 
the smartest move. I, I don't think you can, you can gamble so much that you're leaving three point shooters alone. Sure. Yeah. Not this team, not at home. Right. I was to say at home too, especially I think. So number two key to the game, defensive rebounding. It was a problem against Rutgers who is an elite offensive rebounding team. Indiana's not great, but obviously a team that shoots as well, you don't want to give them extra chances. And and TJD seems like he's a pretty good rebounder, so I would not entirely trust that he doesn't go off getting some offensive boards. He's he's capable, but as a team, they're they're pretty mediocre. Uh, they're not in Rutgers league, right? As an offensive rebounding team, and they're certainly not in Purdue's league. Uh. I would bet we see a better performance. And the reason I say that is Izzo, even in the win against Rutgers, <laughs> yeah. was embarrassed and infuriated by it. Normally, when you see that in a rebounding performance by Michigan State, you, you do not see a repeat of it, at least not immediately. <laughs> so I, I would expect that Michigan State does an effective job here, but they need to. That's why it's a key, because they have to. they got to be better. Indiana shoots well enough that if they're also – getting a lot of second chances on the shots they missed, you might have a long day. Okay, the number three key to the game, threes. Michigan State shot really great against against Rutgers. Can they repeat that performance? Are they going because that, you know, their offense is predicated in large part on getting a decent amount of threes in their possessions because they don't have a, you know, post presence. It's a bit it's a big part of what they do, right? Because they've got so many guys that are capable shooters. They don't have you know, they, they do get some stuff going to the rim, especially with Hogard, but also Walker can do some of that too. You know, you get a little bit of action around the rim from Joey. Uh, but, you know, unless unless the Rutgers game is the shape of things to come with Jackson Kohler, you know, you, you don't have much else other than that. So you need to be shooting jumpers effectively in particular generating three-point looks and getting them to fall. The good news here is Indiana – is a decent defensive team, but they have struggled against threes. And the, the standard analytical rap is, well, you can't focus too much on three-point percentage against because a lot of that is luck. And that's true. I, I, I agree with that. Indiana is weak in that respect, but some of that could be bad luck. What's not bad luck, though, is how often teams are getting those shots up against you. And they've also struggled there. Yeah. So for as good a team as they are inside the arc and especially around the rim, as we've talked about, they really do struggle to, to get to shooters. And so the opportunities I suspect are going to be there unless, you know, Woodson decides to try to take a page from Brad Underwood and just sell out on, on trying to limit Michigan state's looks from threes and figure that he's going to rely on his shot blockers inside to handle MSU going to the rim possible that they would do that. But I have my doubts for, for, for starters. I don't think Miller cop can be effective doing that. I don't think he's good enough. Right. Right. Defensively. So that would be something that would hinder them. Um, I just don't see it as very likely, but if they play their normal defensive game, Michigan state should get a lot of looks. They just got to hit them. So number four key to the game turnovers. Has been manageable. I think it was you know ten against Rutgers. We've had double digits a couple times in a row, but not not the huge explosions. But again, you know a lot of times it's just you want to not have a huge disparity where there's a big advantage for the other team. 
Yep. And look, Michigan State's still a top 50 team nationally in turnover percentage, which is amazing. We're this deep <laughs> yeah. and, and that number is real. there. It's just something, it's just something we've never seen. Um, Indiana is not, they're not a horribly inefficient team in that way, but they're outside the top 100. So they have struggled. And again, it gets back to this guard play stuff I talk about. Their guard play in a lot of the ways that we typically talk about it is just not very good. So uh, against an opponent playing at home that's starting to feel better about themselves, that shoots the ball well, I think it's important if you're Michigan State to try to squeeze out an advantage in terms of scoring opportunities. Now, I'm not expecting necessarily a decisively huge one, but if they can win the rebounding battle by a little bit and win the turnover battle by a little bit, that might be enough. And the final key to the game, guard play. Michigan State's guards have been obviously fantastic, probably still, I don't, I guess, I don't know, is it disputable that they have the best backcourt in the Big Ten? I certainly, so. I mean, certainly they're great. So, you know, can you, can you get enough there to make up for places where you may have deficiencies compared to Indiana? Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing, but even with Michigan state, as we've talked about maybe being a little better in the ways that they need them to be at the five than a lot of uh, casual fans realize, um, that's who's kidding who Indiana's got an advantage (laughs) in the post, right? I mean, TJD is probably going to have a good game. Um, so that means that Michigan state has got to counter that by exploiting the advantages that they have which is primarily in guard play. It's not to say that Indiana doesn't have guards that are capable of playing well. They do, especially Hood Shafino. But as a group, I, I just, you know, I, I think that um, I think that they're gonna I think that they're gonna struggle to deal with Walker. I think they're gonna struggle to deal. I mean, if look, I, I guess I look at it and I think. Well, cops got to guard one of either Walker He's guard someone. or Akins. <laughs> yeah. So either of those guys, I think he's going to struggle with, you know? So Michigan State's got to make that advantage count, you know? And then this is going to be true for most games they play. You know, I felt like in the last game, I like Rutgers guards, particularly their seniors. Um, I think those guys are, are really good, all three of them, the starters. And you know, I felt like that was a game where maybe Michigan State's normal decisive advantage maybe wouldn't be as decisive. And in the end, it absolutely was. Yeah, not even close. Yeah. So they've got to repeat that. This group is not as good as Rutgers group, in my opinion. So they got to do it. So Ken Palm has IU as a favorite, four-point favorite. Uh, it's interesting, you know, you look at, we were talking before the Rutgers game that, you know, Michigan State would be great if they could, without Malik Hall, you know, how much can you just tread water? You got the one at Rutgers, uh, at home against Rutgers. You know, if you get both of these, I, you know, I think everything's still on the table and you, and especially with the prospects of getting Malik Hall back maybe a little bit sooner potentially, or at least for play a couple minutes. Uh, this is, this is an opportunity and certainly a team that can be beaten and, and Michigan State has not had assembly hall has not really been a house of horrors as it had been in the distant past. It seems like a place where state plays pretty well and has a chance to win oftentimes. You know, what's funny about that is I, and, and I'd have to look at the records to see if my, my anecdotal um, impression is correct, but for as great as their program was, even under night, like I started paying attention just after 
the best of Bobby Knight. Like I don't have memories of the 76. Yeah, season, right. Sure. But I do of like the 77 and all stuff. And it was always a tough place to play. Make no mistake. But it never felt as bad as West Lafayette and Champaign-Urbana to me. Those were always the two. And, and so even in the night years, Michigan State occasionally managed to win some there, whereas it felt to me like they never won in those <laughs> other two places. And again, I'll freely admit that's an anecdotal impression. The actual results might be slightly different, but that's how I remember it. Um, in recent years, it's not that Michigan State just goes down there and runs roughshod over them, but um, I agree with you. It does not, <laughs> if you're looking at the last, you know, the Izzo era, Indiana Assembly Hall is not near the very top of the toughest places in this league for MSU to play in. To play in, it's Cole Center. Even though that's gone MSU's way in recent years, I still think you'd put that building in that realm. Mm -hmm. It's Cole Center. It's certainly Mackey. It's certainly Assembly Hall and Champaign Urbana. You know, those are the three that leap to mind for me immediately. And then more recent years like the last couple of years, the rack is getting to be a very tough place to play. Assembly Hall has not been in that realm. This one could be tough because I, I would expect Indiana is going to have a live crowd. You know, they probably feel pretty good about this two game win streak and not just that they've won, but how impressively they've won. Um, and, you know, I'm sure their, their fan base is feeling like, okay, Maybe we finally got that momentum where we need it. And now we can have the season that we thought we were going to have. Um, it's entirely possible. They feel that way. They probably should feel that way. So it will be a live building. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't think when you, when you look at it this year, Michigan States played, what do they play? So they played, they played uh, at Penn state in the league. I'm trying to think of the road games. Penn State, Wisconsin, Illinois. Okay. So they've played very well in all three of those. Yes. They won two of them. They won two of them. They lost against Illinois, but that was still, I count that as a very solid road effort for Michigan State. So they have yet to, in the league at least, really fold their tent on the road. And that's what you would hope for in an experienced team, right? So... That's been true. And then you look at the non-conference. They had what was a road game against Portland. They managed to win. It was not impressive in the end, but they got it done shorthanded and then really shorthanded and exhausted. The only road game they played badly in was the one in South Bend. And I think there are obvious reasons in retrospect for that to the point that I don't even really count it. So I think there's reason to feel like Michigan State can go into Assembly Hall on Sunday afternoon and feel like they've got a real shot to get a win. But apart from, you know, Indiana's kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing, um, I, I think they've got every reason to feel like they know what it takes to be competitive in those environments. So, I mean, is it going to be, is it going to be, even if their crowd is live, is it going to be a tougher environment than Cole Center was? Is it going to be a tougher environment than it was in Champaign-Urbana? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. So a, a we'll see, but I, you know, I like this team. And look, if they lose it, all right, they're five and four. You got a home game coming up against Iowa next week. If you take care of business in that one, the way you should, 
you're six and four at the halfway point, right. which is okay, all things considering. And I think in some respects, the schedule on the back half is probably slightly easier the way it looks I mean, it yeah. remains more, seen, more road but, games i think but otherwise but i but yeah. opposition is not yeah i mean this has been a tough and the scheduling too the way it's been every three days that's going to lighten up a little bit too so um you know but if look if you can get this one huge yeah without huge. Doubt. yeah yeah so why not well yeah and i think i, I believe this team at full strength they are. They can take. Any, they can take anyone. They're a versatile team. They're, they they can beat you yes. in a couple different ways sometimes. And so that, and with the def- defense, that you know, as they say, right, defense travels. And I think as long as you're playing that defense, you're going to be in every game. You know, whether you make enough shots and stuff is the other question, I suppose. But absolutely. And I think that that's when I look at this. That to me is the big question here, which is how does MSU opt to defend against this team, and does that work? You know, do they whatever they decide to do, sell out to limit the threes and live with TJD going to work, or try to try to disrupt him and take the chance that they burn you from deep. So whatever they decide to do strategically, how well do they execute it? That to me is going to be the single biggest thing. All right. Well, I think we probably should wrap it up there. It's kind of we've kind of gone long because we we're talking the Malik Hall thing earlier too. So. Uh, Again, I just remind you, if you've not had an opportunity, please rate and review the podcast on your pack, podcast player. Also, check out Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com at 20% off with the coupon code FINAL4. It helps support the show. And until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.